Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And uh, today we figured we would do an episode before the Seattle expansion draft. Um, we were going to leave until about probably, we were thinking about doing one after the expansion draft, but uh, holy, a lot has happened since we recorded on Wednesday, I believe it was, or Tuesday. Uh, it was not long ago and a lot of news has broken since, so... Um, we figured we'd do another podcast, get one out, and then we'll do one right after the, um, you know, Seattle's announced as well, kind of reacting to the teams. We get to see some of the uh, exposed lists, so I'm sure we'll discuss that a little bit today. But uh, I think a lot of the focus is going to be on the moves that were actually made, the trades and contracts that were made. Um, and then also, um, you know, we can focus a little more on who was left exposed, was that smart, you know, what the outcome was on Wednesday. But um yeah, there's a, there's a lot to talk about here. I, I don't even know where to start. I have like 12 items that I have written down. Um, we'll start with the one that I think happened the furthest back, and it was a contract extension the day after we recorded. There's a bunch of those that, uh, you know, uh, took place, but um, this one is the Brandon Carlo deal. Um, Carlo signs for six years, 4.1 AAV and 24.6 total. Um, 24 year old right shot defenseman. What was your opinion on this, Chase? This deal was fine, I guess. I don't know. I'm not particularly high on Carlo, but it was, it doesn't seem like a huge win or a huge loss to me. What about you? Yeah, I, I think, um, the one thing that would maybe scare me if I'm a Bruins fan is the term of a guy who, uh, basically is only valuable in defense. Like, yeah, and it's not like he's got, like, peak Chris Tanev-level defensive results either. Like, they're good, don't get me wrong, but... Yeah, like, he's of, just fine, like... Yeah, like, he's just comfortably good, and, like, there is value in that. I don't know if there's $4 million in that for six years, but he is young. I assume they they believe he's going to get at least a little bit better offensively, given the term. Yeah, I don't know how you can't, like... I, I don't know how you make this deal if you don't think he's going to step up at least somewhat right like yeah this was a weird deal because like the guy scored four points last year like i can't imagine they were bidding against anyone else to sign this contract probably not but boston media really loves this dude as well like he gets really highly talked about he really does and like i said he's fine but i think dom had him as like a replacement level defender uh wouldn't shock me if his true impact is slightly higher than that, but I don't really see a world where he's like a. He's not a top pair guy, right? Like, yeah, he's like, he could be a top four in the sense that I'm sure if he's your number four. Yeah. Like, I think he's a fine four. Like if probably not an ideal three, three, excuse me. Yeah. Like if he's four and Jake Muzzin sitting at three or that kind of a second pair, like you're pretty happy with it, but. Like yeah. Brandon Carlo doesn't doesn't really move the needle enough for me to be super happy with it. What do you think his predicted cap hit was? Uh, just given his lack of points, I would say like three. Yeah, it was two by two and a half was the most likely outcome. For the Jeez. Ball. Now on a four-year deal, they projected him at four million dollars. So maybe this is market value. You're saying we're underrating the time on ice component? I'm not sure. Yeah, it could be because, you know, if you just play a bunch and nothing really happens, I mean, I don't know how much value there is, but some teams definitely see value in that. But 
it makes an intuitive sense. If you're going to play a guy, you can't pay him. It's difficult to ask someone to take a contract less than their ice time implies because the coach you're paying millions of dollars to evaluate the hockey players is essentially saying you're quite good. Yeah, 100%. You can't play a guy like a top three, top two defenseman and then turn around and be like, no, you're not that at all. Yeah, exactly. Like people always find it outrageous when the Rasmus Ristolainen's of the world give $5 million, but you kind of can't not if you're going to tell him, essentially tell him he's that valuable every game for 82 games all year long. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to pay, if you've decided you are going to pay him, which I mean, that's a separate decision all in itself. But once yeah. that decision's been made, you can't sit, turn around and be like, well, we don't actually want to pay you that much. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's go to the next one then. I, I think that's probably pretty good for him. Um, Keith Yandel buyout, I think, is what I have written next. And we'll go with uh, three three things of Panthers news in a row here. They did a a lot of stuff. So they, they buy out Keith Yandel. They then re-sign Gustav Forsling and then also re-sign Anthony DeClaire. Um, let's start with the Yandel buyout. They, I, I think I'm just generally higher on Keith Yandel than the market seems to be. Um, I saw a lot of Florida fans say he sucks. He doesn't play any defense or anything like that. And he's not great defensively or anything like that, but he's pretty solid offensively. And I think he had two years left. I just don't really see the point of the bio yeah unless they have something really specific they need the cap space for but like they're gonna be paying them five million dollars next year and they're paying them two and a half this year like i don't see how the difference between what he was making and paying him two and a half not to play for you i don't get how you find keith yandoba better with that yeah and like and someone replied to me on twitter saying oh we have they have internal replacements it's like i guess like but do they though Oh, that's what I mean. I like, I don't really like, I'm getting to Forsling in a second. He kind of came out of nowhere. Are we really going to just assume that Gustav Forsling is actually like a number two, three defenseman like he was this year? And like that you, you don't need Keith Yandel because of that. Yeah. Cause like Keith Yandel is what we hope Tyson Berry was going to be when he got traded to Toronto. Like he's just not great defensively, but a really good puck mover who, and as a result, like his on ice metrics in terms of offense are more than good enough to make up for the defensive efficiency he has. Plus, he's freaking amazing on the power play still. And that's a skill I expect to age well. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think he'll, he kind of reminds me of, um, you remember how when Shattenkirk got bought out, he went and played with Tampa for a year and just completely recouped his value and then signed a four year deal? Yep. That kind of reminds me of what's going to happen here. Like, yeah, I could see the exact kind of thing. Like any sort of decent contender with a spot open on their first or second power play unit who can play this guy on their second or third pair, I think would be an awesome pickup for them. Yeah, it's and it contains so like I don't want to make it all about this, but like it, it, this kind of move is why it's so freaking funny to me that Edmonton just didn't wait like a couple seconds. And who knows, maybe he wouldn't have wanted to go to Edmonton, but within like three days of making that just horrible Duncan Keith trade um, two buyouts come for guys that could do the exact same thing that you brought Duncan Keith in for, for a, co- a portion of the cost and way more effectively. Yeah, exactly. I like, I'm just looking and I'm looking at Florida's deep pit now. It's so it's Ekblad, Strawman, Uyghur, Nudavara, Forsling, Gudis, uh, Radko Gudis. I, they might lose a defenseman in the expansion draft. I think they, 
protected um, Forsling, Ekblad, and Uyghur, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I guess uh, they have a lot of faith because looking at their D card, that like the power in terms of defenseman on the power play, Ekblad will be all they have now. Yeah, I think like basically, right? Like, unless yeah, they like, want like Noah Juleson to step in and be the second power play guy, I guess. Yeah, something like that. But it was like Ekblad has had good results on the power play, but you need two defensemen to play the power play generally. Yeah, unless you're just playing like 90 seconds to 90 to 100 seconds with your first unit on there. But yeah, you could OV treat Ekblad like he's OV just on the back end kind of thing. But I think if you do that, you got to cut down his minutes of five on five somewhere, probably too. Like, yeah, which probably isn't optimal either because Florida has what two legitimately good defensemen, and then after that, you're not very inspired. I would say like Weger and Ekblad are great. Yeah, but even Mackenzie Weger kind of came out of nowhere this year to be like a legitimate unreal defenseman. Like, if he takes a step back to where he's even a number two, you have Ekblad's great. Uyghur's not bad. Like Uyghur's, if he's a two, Forsling, again, maybe he's a second pair guy. And it's like, okay, well, that gets thin really quick. Yeah, that's pretty ugly pretty fast, especially if Uyghur regresses at all. Yeah, exactly. And he, or even, you know, Forsling had a really good year last year, too, out of like almost nowhere, to be honest. Because he was awful previously, was he not? Yeah, he was not good at all. Like, and then last year he was just like I'm assuming he probably got a bit of a Quenville bump, but and you know Quenville will still be the coach, obviously. But yeah, he was brutal in 2018-19. I don't even think he played in 2019-20. Let me see. But um, so like yeah. it'll be interesting to see what uh, what he is going forward, right? Like, yeah, I know that Jack Hahn talked about Florida. Uh, the system they used this year, I believe it was activating the defenseman was one thing he pointed out they did really well. So maybe they just believe they've got a fit for Forsling that like he's real, like all this stuff is real. Mm -hmm. Which it's possible. Yeah. Like I, if there's one team you're going to tell me that that is actually the case, you know, a Joel Quenville coach team seems reasonable. But yeah, yeah, that's a hundred percent plausible i guess so it looks more defensible through that light i guess yeah uh, like i just i don't know like when it comes to the handle buyout uh just a little i don't know little interesting in, in to me i think like i'd like to see seattle signing actually that would be a good one too somebody to move um, the puck somebody to run their first power play unit that you can just trade at the deadline when he's on pace for like 50 points because he's running the first power play unit yeah, exactly. And like, um, what was I going to say? Yeah. Like, and then for Yandel, I think you could, you know, make a case where there probably will be some teams wanting a service where you could probably, if you're worried about not you know, recouping your value or whatever, you could just go get your next payday right away and it'll probably be cheaper. Or you can go to a cup team, try and really recoup your value and cash out next year. Yeah. Which will be tough for him because he's so old. Maybe he does just want as much money up front as he possibly can, but. Yeah, who knows? Like, um, but but he's also made a ton. So if anybody could go ring chasing, it's going to be guys like him who are have beyond generational wealth already. So I don't know. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see where where he goes, and it might just depend on you know who has what available too, right? So, true. 
but um, yeah, I'm trying to see if I can even pull up the actual buyout or not, but I, I can't seem to do it for whatever reason. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, let's get into the Forzen contract real quick too. Um, you know, we, we, again, we just talked that I, I, it's definitely a gamble. He was very bad for the first 120 games of his career, spanned over three years, played only in the AHL in 2019-20, came up and played 43 games with Florida this year and was like really, really solid. Um, so we'll see. It's not a hard cap at three years, 2.6 mil for an eight mil total contract. Like even if he does struggle or even if he just goes to a third pair defenseman, it's a slight overpay for a third pair defenseman, but it's not like it's crushing you. Yeah, as long as he's like that Pete Colin Miller level, like third pairing D, that's fine. And I think looking into the context of Forsling, I start to like this contract more. We talked about Florida's system like two seconds ago. Plus where he came from was Chicago, which has kind of just been where defensemen go to die next to Buffalo recently. So maybe there's more upside there than his just like raw on ice or like even adjusted on ice numbers suggest over the aggregate of his career. Yeah, I mean, he, he and, and it's not like he played a ton of games in Chicago either. Like, he played 38, 41, 43. It's not like that is a giant sample size, right? Like, No, and he was pretty young for them, too. Yeah, because he's still 25. Yeah, 25 this year. Um, yeah, he had time so, to bounce in and out of the league already at 25. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, But, yeah, I, I don't hate it either, and it's pretty low risk, I would say. I really like the other contract they signed, though. Three by three for Anthony Declare, nine million total, three mil AAV. Um, this is a really solid deal for a player who seemed to fit with the team really well last year. And granted, he played most of his minutes with one of Huberdeau or Barkov, I think. But um, you know, like he was, he, he's found he's really revitalized his career, and uh, it's it's great to see him get rewarded for it. Yeah, he was amazing last year, and this is this is one of those perfect contracts because even if he regresses back towards what he was pre-Florida, you can still be perfectly comfortable paying him $3 million. Yeah, like he was a legitimate top six forward last year, and if he's a third-line forward, there's nothing wrong with paying your third-line forward $3 million. Yeah, like a third-liner who's a threat for like 20 goals, which I believe he scored 20 in Ottawa. So even if things go poorly, I'm sure he could do that in Florida. That's awesome. Yeah, 100%. So, um, yeah, I I really think that was a – Smart pickup for Florida there. Um, I, I, I like that one a lot. It'll be interesting to see, you know, where they go from here because they have Sam Bennett to resign. Um, if they want to keep him, Alex Wenberg, it sounds like he'll probably be walking. So, um, you know, we, we talked about Florida a, a decent amount, actually, over the past couple of weeks and kind of where do they go from here? Because it, it sounds like Chris Dreger is going to be going to Seattle. That's one yeah. of the big rumors is that they really like to really like him and want to take a shot on him. Um, so you got Spencer Knight and Sergey Bobrovsky and, uh, you know, Bobrovsky's on that massive ticket, of course. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting, right? Like they, it feels like they need one, uh, at least a big piece to kind of push them over the hump, but I really don't know what that is. And until then you just kind of got to start re-signing decent players, like, you know, and yeah. so that's what they did this week. And clearly they thought that $5.3 million in cap dead cap next year is worth not having Keith Yandel on the books. We'll see if that pays off. They have a bunch of UFAs coming up next year too. So um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it will be. I can tell I'm a humongous nerd for this sentence about to come out of my mouth. I'm really excited to see the Sam Bennett extension. 
<laughs> yes, me too. Because it's like, we have years of data that suggests he was not very good. And then he just went and was God when he went yeah. to uh, uh, Florida. Guys like prime Peter Forsberg out of nowhere when he goes to Florida, even though there's like, what's it been like six years of him just having the most mundane NHL results? Yeah. Two, like, three, four, five, six. Yeah, six full years basically of just somewhere in between mediocre and awful results. And then he was just a god for 10 games. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I think he probably gets like a one year prove it deal if I had to guess. That would make sense. Just like a one-year, $2 million contract or something like that. Yeah. The thing oh, is, he's 25, though. I think that walks him to free agency. Oh, it probably so, would, especially because he played so young, right? Yeah, so then the question would be, do you do you want to risk that? I can see, you know, maybe like a two-year deal, prove it deal. Like a two-year, $3 million, $2.5 million kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, keep and, it short-term. Yeah, and then it's like, well, you get one year of UFA. If it doesn't work out, he can walk. If it does work out, you can repay him. And on his side, yeah, you have to wait two more years to get paid, but you have two chances to really show that someone should take a long-term bet on you. Yeah, and that, that seems like the kind of thing that could work well for the team and the player. Yeah, so I think, yeah, that'll be something to keep an eye out for sure, though. Uh, I'll be interested to see how that plays out, too. Um Let's go. I got Teddy Bluger on my list next. Uh, smaller name. I doubt we'll spend as much time talking about this one, but uh, $4.4 million contract is not nothing. 2.2 AAV. Um, good for him for getting paid, first of all. Like, that's always awesome to see. Um, what was your thought on this contract, uh, you know, for the 26-year-old? Um, good. I I, like, I think in terms, looking back next year, like cost per war, this will be an efficient contract. Although Teddy Bluger, I can't imagine would have got, I wouldn't have guessed he got $2 million, but he's also very good at what he does. So it's hard to really get mad at it. If yeah, like he, he's just kind of like that guy where it's like, you might be able to find, replace him, but are you really going to be able to replace him for much cheaper than $2.2 million? Probably not. Like you already have him. You may as well just keep him. Yeah. Like if, if everything breaks right, you could for sure find a replacement for $1.5 million, I would guess, but things have to break right. Whereas with Teddy Bluger, you can just pay him to be Teddy Bluger and you know what he is. Yeah, exactly. And again, two-year deal. So if it goes sideways, it's not a big deal. And it's really movable too. Like I think if he, for whatever reason, was awful next year, I still think you could probably just flip him. You wouldn't get much of an asset back, of course, but it's not like you're just stuck to this contract no matter what. Yeah, exactly. He scored at half a point a game last year. So maybe maybe 2.2 is not as much of a – it's just perfectly in line with what he deserved. Yeah, yeah but, I, I can't imagine – much much less than that right like and i think this eats up ufa years as well so like this is kind of what i probably would have expected on the open market yeah that's fair enough and he offers nothing offensively but they're not paying him like he does so that's that works well yeah exactly so um yeah i I don't really have much more to say on that one but yeah this is kind of like how you should do fourth liners deals instead of the way like lou has done them in Long Island, in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. Like, keep it short, one or two years, not too much AAV, um, and 
this is also a player where I think he has a very defined role and that helps, you know, like, again, like no, I, no offense to Leo Komarov, but I don't really care to see Leo Komarov sign for any money or term, you know, exactly. like for, like for my team anyways, like good for him, but. Yeah. Or Matt Martin, all sorts of names like that. Like this is the kind of fourth line contract. If you're going to pay them, you want to be signing. Yep, exactly. So, um, that's all I have on that, I believe. Uh, let's go to the Ryan Graves trade. This one, pretty interesting deal. Uh, Colorado, obviously, not in a cap crunch uh, yet, but you know they they got to be cognitive cognitive of that. And also, uh, they were going to probably lose Graves for nothing during the expansion draft because uh, they have a lot of good defensemen. Um, they are protecting um, Devon Taves, obviously, uh, Sam Gerrard, obviously, and Cal McCarr, obviously. Right. So um, that would have left Graves exposed unless they went four and four, in which case they would probably lose a Nazem Kadri or Andre Burakovsky type player, which doesn't seem like that ideal either. Uh, Kadri's suspension and stuff aside. Um, so they flip uh, they flip Ryan Graves to the New Jersey Devils for a second round pick, I believe it was. And I think it was AHL con or uh, depth player came back the other way as well. Let me just try and pull that up. Um, oh yeah, there was, I believe he was just a fourth liner. Um, Maltsev, um, yeah, yeah. Mikhail. Yeah. Um, so it's more the second round pick for Ryan Graves. Uh, Maltsev will probably play a depth role by the sounds of it, where he might kind of, um, alternate in and out of that fourth line, uh, for the, the avalanche, which, you know, isn't that bad. He's a 23-year-old, played 33 games with the Devils, nine points last year. So it's not like I don't think you're not going to be expecting too, too much, but just a young guy who's an extra body is fine. But it's, it's mostly a second-round pick. And I like this from the ass perspective. If you were going to – it feels very likely you were going to lose him anyway, so you get to recoup one of the seconds you gave up for uh, um, Devon Taves last year. Not that they're complaining about that, but it's always good to recoup assets, right? And – I'm curious what your thoughts on it are from the devil's point of view. I kind of hated it from the devil's point of view. The devil's making this trade as a bad team with the avalanche who are a good team tends to be why good teams stay good in sports. If that makes yeah, sense. I would agree at the same. So I'm a, and we talked about this offline about something. I'm a little worried that they see him as a top pair defenseman. That scares me a lot. Yeah, that, and I think, like, Rachel Dory used to work for the Devils. She said, expect him and Severson to be the top pair. I see no reason to not believe her. And yeah. that would be my guess on what they're going to try for their top pair, if that's something that somebody who just recently worked for the Devils said. So that scares me a lot and also makes me a lot more bullish on this trade. I don't mind the idea of the trade. I think Ryan Graves is fine, I think. You know, like I got to watch him a lot. I don't think he's great. I think he's a number four, probably. Like, yeah, that sounds about right. That's what most of the the war metrics and like Micah's cards and stuff happen. At, I believe just like a he could be like a five, like a good five or a four. Yeah, you know uh, on a yeah, on a really good team, he's a five. On a not as good team, or on an, ideally, he's probably like a four. And then on this team, he's probably the third. Beth. It, it depends what kind of step Ty Smith takes this year, really. But yeah. even on this team, like he should be like they have Will Butcher, Damien, Damien Severson, Ty Smith, and Ryan Murray. They, I, I'm assuming they're probably going to re-sign Ryan Murray. Um, but it's just like 
I don't know. Like, I don't mind it. Like, because, you know, you mentioned they're a bad team. And that's, that's very fair, but they need to become a good team. Not rather quick, but at least one of these years, because they've been a bad team for very, very long. Aside from the one year Taylor Hall went absolutely just dragged this team to the playoff mode. Like, that's true. But like, does Ryan Graves make you a good team ever? No, but not him alone. But I do think there is something to be said about adding NHL talent using your cap space. Now, I probably would have rather see them use a fourth round pick instead of a second round pick. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, Graves was really successful in Colorado, and there's a tendency to knock players like that when in reality teams like that are just usually successful because the players are, in fact, good. But also, it's not like he played an important – like, the fact that he played so low in the lineup, I believe, was a specific important part about being good in Colorado. Yeah, and so, yeah, I am definitely um, a little scared that if they think he's going to plug into the first pair and be – good or as good as he was in Colorado. I think that's going to be a disappointment. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And it's just like, like it's only a second. So it's still hard to be the end of the world, but I don't know. I just tend not to like when middling to bad teams just acquire, you know, slightly below average players for good draft picks just for the sake of doing it. Yeah, I get. Yeah. Like it, it's fair. Like, I don't mind the thinking of, hey, we need to finally get better, so let's add some actual NHL talent. But um, I would have rather they did it. Like, what they they just gave up a singular depth contract for Andreas Janssen, right, last year. Like, that is a – or Ryan Murray they got for, I believe, a second or a third-round pick where, like, I think Ryan Murray is a better player than Ryan Graves. Exactly. And Loki, the Devils have done this a lot. Yep. Like, they did it band too, like, what, three years ago now? Yep or two years ago, something like that. And yet, even though they've given up so many picks for these defensemen, their decor still is awful. Yeah, it's just like they really need Ty Smith to be like an anchor on the back end because they – it's not – I mean, playing P.K. Subban big minutes doesn't help either, but it's not like Damian Severson, Will Butcher, Ryan Graves, Ty Smith, Ryan Murray is – a bad outline, but you need that. You're missing that one really big piece. Like if they had peak PK Subban, this decor looks not bad. Yeah, exactly. Even if Ty Smith was just like Morgan Riley, that would be awesome. Somebody who you can just put with it, even with a terrible partner, who can just survive the tough minutes and not just get filled in. Yeah, exactly. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they go. They have an interesting team. Like they, they feel like a team that is going to be pretty good pretty soon, but like, they and like they, I don't know. It feels like they're a big piece away from being a legitimate contender. Yeah, hundred percent. And like Jack Hughes continuing to develop, I think like I'm writing him in as going to be good. I'm talking a one more good piece beyond that. Yeah, and like maybe it's in, like they have Alex Alexander Holtz in their system already. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know maybe maybe it's him. They have Dawson Mercer, who they drafted 18th overall in 2020 as well. You know, like maybe if one of those guys develop into like a legitimately really good forward, there's your piece. And, you know, I believe they're drafting pretty high again in this year's draft too. So they're going to get a chance and they have the Islanders first as well. So they'll have a depth first round pick this year too. So it's not like it's impossible to get that player. It's just they definitely need at least one more of those kind of players. Yeah. And why I hate this trade is I believe they need one more of those type of players. The most likely to places to find those players is the draft. 
And by the time that player is good, Ryan Graves is almost certainly going to be useless anyways. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and they, they pick fourth overall this year. So they, uh, they should, they, they should have an opportunity to get a pretty solid player, even in a draft that, you know, is not as loaded. Sometimes it's almost better. I think when we've seen the, uh, lesser draft class, you see it go a couple times after pick one or two, you get the three, four, five area has some really, really good players in it. Yeah. Let's see him just swing on like William Macklin or something, just pure offside at four. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, that's all I have on that one, I think. Uh, and then obviously, yeah, from Colorado's perspective, uh, a guy you're going to lose anyways, you got a second round pick. I really like that piece of work for Joe Sackick. Yep, this is how good teams stay good. You don't get married. You get married to the Devin Tays, the Sam Gerard, and Kale McCars of the world, and you walk away from Ryan Graves and get assets in Virginia. Yep. So, um, and you know, and this was a much needed. That was a much needed second round pick because they didn't have their second. They don't have their fourth, fifth, or sixth. They don't have their second next year, and they don't have their fourth next year either. So, even just getting back another pick where they can either use it now or trade down, and maybe they get like a fourth and a sixth or, you know, a third and a fifth and a sixth or something like that, they can restock the pool a little bit and, you know, get some more value. Exactly. And they've shown themselves to be really good at drafting. So that'd be yep. just perfect for them all around. All right. Want to get into the New York Islanders stuff? Let's do it. Good old um, So this is why, let's start with the Nick Letty one. That's, let's start with that first. Uh, so obviously it was reported Nick Letty was going to be on the market. Um, because they need to badly shed money and, uh, that's mostly Lou's fault, but at the same time, it's not like Nick Letty is a great player these days. Anyways, he is definitely not what he was, <clears throat> excuse me, at his peak. Um, so, you know, and at, at 5.5 and by that, like he just, he was good on the power play this year. Not good. Like really anywhere else, anywhere else. This trade but, to me was like the Ryan Graves one just jacked up. Yes, this is like worse and in all areas because I don't, I really don't understand it from a Detroit perspective. I like, I could say I get behind it from a New Jersey because New Jersey's got to start working their way out of it here. Detroit knows they're going to be bad for another like two years. Yeah, like Detroit's actively tanking. Yeah, and like, so like why, if they would have got Letty for a pick, I would have understood, but they retain on panic send the second round pick and get like a player that's not even good. Yeah. And the Islanders were in cap hell. Like you don't want to be helping teams out in cap hell for free. If you're one of the teams in the league that can sell cap space like Detroit can. Yeah, no. And like, so I think this was a really good piece of work by Lou, you know, again, obviously it's a problem he created, but um, he did a very good job with this one where, you know, he gets a second round pick back. Um, and obviously we'll talk about where that goes in a second, but he gets a second round pick back. And then they also get to panic who uh, has two more years at uh, 2.75 is what his AAV will be now, I believe, or sorry, no, 1.375 His the original contract was four years, 2.755 per. So he's at 1.375. Um, again, I think that's a really tidy piece of work. I think panic at 1.3, you can do a, a lot worse than that. Yeah, he's still he's still a perfectly useful player. And that'll be like a cow cluttered buck kind of replacement, I would assume. Like, or uh, maybe not Clutterbuck or Casey Sezikis. Sorry, I think is up. I think Clutterbuck still. Yeah, he's got one more year under contract. So maybe that's your Casey Sezikis replacement if he walks or whatever. But um, yeah, we'll definitely see. 
Yeah, panic seems like the complete opposite of what Lou tends to value in a depth piece, but it'd be nice to see him experiment with these kind of players as depth pieces instead of the Matt Martins of the world. Yeah, exactly. And especially at 1.375. Like if Matt Martin made 1.375, I don't think it would – or uh, sorry, if Matt Martin made 1.375 for one year, I don't think it would be that bad. He makes 1.5 for three more years, and that's coming off of a contract where he made what, like $4 million, I think, $3 million? So two and a half over four years. Yeah. So like, it's just, um, I don't know. The, the term is what bucks me a lot too, even if he tries to keep the cap hit a little lower, but um, no, I, I thought this piece, I thought this deal was like really smart to be honest. Yeah. This deal was awesome. Absolutely amazing for the Islanders. Yep. And then we get to another one where uh, I felt needed. Um, wasn't as great, but I mean, I don't, again, like I don't really, I almost don't know what they could do, you know, like, um, in terms of uh, they had to get out of this contract. So they send Andrew Ladd to the Arizona Coyotes. They get nothing in return. This has got to be the first time I've seen literally just future consideration. Usually it's like an NHL contract, a seventh round pick, literally just future considerations come back. Um, and with Andrew Ladd, they send a second round pick uh, this year. It was the one that Colorado gave them in that Devon Taves trade, a conditional 2022 second round pick and a conditional 2023 second round pick. The condition on the 2022 pick is that it is the better of the two second rounders that they hold currently. So their own and Colorado. Uh, and the condition on the third or third round pick is um, the third round pick is transferred. If lad plays in one game in 2022, 23. So I am going to guess that the Arizona coyotes will absolutely make sure lad plays at least one game. Do everything in their power to make sure he plays that one game. And it's yeah. not like, he, cause he's not hurt either. Right. Like he was just, they didn't, find value in them and they put them in the minors if I remember correctly yeah exactly and these deals are always kind of interesting to me because it's really difficult to criticize like the price paid because we kind of shit talk GMs a lot but I have to assume none of them are actually stupid and if they're making this trade it's because this was the cheapest way they could possibly get that cap space so it gives us a little insight into how much GMs value that cap space like the market as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And just like, it's tough because, you know, sometimes you see um, when trades happen, you see there's, there's precedent or whatever um, for what that player is worth, you know, like the classic is always the deadline where it's like, oh yeah, that the classic rental is a first and a prospect and, you know, varying on how good the guy is, right? Sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, but it's generally that outline with, getting rid of a bad contract there's no outline because all con- like the contracts are just so different it depends on case to case yeah exactly like signing bonus will matter a ton for certain teams or term will matter for certain it's yeah it's completely case by case basis so it's kind of cool yeah so um again like i think it's kind of hard to uh uh really criticize um the actual trade itself other than the the fact that uh um i think you can criticize the fact that, you know, he, he, you had to be here, right? Like they, they had to get in this position. Lou signing stupid contracts cost them these three picks. That yes. is criticized, but the move in and of itself is fine and necessary. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think he, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he signed the Andrew Ladd deal in itself. Did he not? That might've been before him, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. 
let me see. Andrew Ladd signs. Oh, 16, 17. So Lou would have been in Toronto. Then. Okay. Yeah. So that, that, and then it's not on him, but yeah, it's still like, again, we talked about how many other moves he's had to make and everything like that. So um, yeah. And it looks like it, it's kind of sounds like he wants to spend more now too. So uh, because they have more cap space than they're probably going to need that they're going to have enough to probably take a swing at a player if they really want to. And uh I'm nervous but excited to see what that is because the Gabriel Landeskog thing is not going how Colorado thought it might. Um, and there's going to be some players that are available this summer, that's for sure. So right now they have, um, I think it was close to $20 million, someone said, in projected spending space for this summer. Uh, they need to re-sign Pellick, Del Cole, maybe Sezikis, and Anthony Bolivier are the three big ones. Oh, and Sorokin as well. Yeah, and as there's nothing that should scare you more as a fan of a team than Lou Lamorello with cap space wanting to sign unrestricted free agents. Yeah, um, yeah, like it, uh, he's had a lot of swings and a bunch of misses with when he has that and the free reign to go do something. Now, granted, if I will say that this team is like, I, and I've said this a couple times on the podcast, this team's kind of just stuck where they kind of have to just be going for it now because, like. There's no f- better future coming, I don't think, where they're better than what they are now, where they've gone to back-to-back conference finals. So if you're taking a big swing on an actually good player, that's better than him going out and spending it on you know a bunch of depth, right? So That's true. I'd rather sign one Gabriel Landeskog than three Leo Komarov contracts. Exactly. So um, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I, I think um, – I, I know I really don't understand this from the Detroit, like that the moves from the Detroit side of thing, um, I, I, giving up an asset for a team that is strapped in cap hell doesn't make any sense to me. Um, on the contrary, I think this is a really solid deal for Arizona, though. Um, it's not like they are going anywhere. They It's clear they got to kind of rebuild again, even though they never really finished the first one. Um, but you get a guy who I looked, he didn't even, like, Lad didn't play a single game last year, so he might uh, he might not be healthy. Um, but if he, if he is healthy, like whatever, you can use him as a depth player and then, or you can even send him to the minors and you're going to have like, they, they already have them buried on their cap sheet here. So, um, you know, two years at $4.3 million cap hit, but for Arizona, it's not like that's going to matter. And now they have three seconds this year and three thirds this year, um, which is help that was very helpful because, uh, they didn't get a first second or third last year and their first round this year is forfeited as well. Yeah, so it's recouping some of the assets they lost due to their own idiocy. Yes, and um, so now at least they have three seconds this year where it's like, okay, we don't have first, but at least we have three seconds. And same can be said next year where it's like, well, we've missed two first-rounders in a row back-to-back years, but at least we have something. Like, it's better than nothing, right? So, Yeah, at least there's some value to show for it. And uh, for what it's worth, in a draft where n- nobody knows anything and everybody believes it's a weak draft, I think the relative value of second-round picks is a lot higher than it normally would be, and the relative value of first-round picks is probably lower than it normally would be. Yeah, agreed. So um, I, I think that's a pretty tidy piece of move, uh, work for them. Like, uh, that's a pretty big haul for a contract that um, – it, it's not small, like that's for sure, but it only has two more years left on it, so it's not like it's going to be crippling for a, a very long time. No, yeah, they're not going to be good throughout the whole course of this contract, so it's perfectly fine for them. Yeah. Um, let's move on, I guess, to another thing. Oh, yeah, and then the Islanders also signed Andy Green to a one-year deal. Um, didn't really seem that necessary, but uh, uh, it, it happened. So, um, 
sure, I guess. I, I, I don't really have much to say on that. Yeah, um, this is probably a negative EV move because it means Andy Green might be playing minutes for your team. But as a general rule, we say this all the time, it's pretty tough to complain against about league men contracts. So, Yeah, bring stuff to the room or whatever, yada, yada. So I don't know. If yeah, he's a seventh he defenseman, whatever. Yeah, if you believe in his character or whatever, the kind of character guys you want are the ones making 750K, not 6 mil Patty Marlowe. Exactly. Um, so a couple big moves to talk about here. Let's get to the Heiskanen thing. Heiskanen signs, uh, Miro Heiskanen signs an eight-year deal. At, uh, I believe it was 8.4, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 8.45, so $67.5 million total on the contract. He's 21 years old, so this will basically take him all the way through his prime. He'll be 29 when it ends. Um, so the good good timing of the contract. I think if you're going to sign an eight-year deal, this is when you should be doing it is for a 21-year-old. Um, he had a very like just godly first year. And then took a little bit of a step back uh, from, it depends what model you look at. Like evolving hockey's is pretty low on him, but I know like Dom's model is much, much higher. Um, what were your thoughts on the, the signing and also Heiskanen as a player? Yeah, this was a fun one because Micah's model is really low on him. I believe the twins at evolving hockey are, their metrics are relatively low on him. And Dom has him as like a future, absolutely elite number one defenseman as well as he just looks like aesthetically great. So it's kind of tough to, he's a tough one to gauge, but I think this was a huge bet that at least makes sense when you consider the fact that most of his NHL sample has come as a teenager. Yeah. And um, yeah, like I, I think it's fair. I, I don't think um, if you're going to take the swing, this is the kind of thing I think you can take the swing on like, um, maybe it doesn't work out. I, I don't think there's people seem uh, on Twitter. I think we're treating this as like, this is a slam dunk, e- easy win deal. Like this will, there's no way this can backfire. And I don't think that's true with any eight year deal. It can backfire. Um, no. but you know, like, I think it's a, a fair, it was a very fair bet to make. That's for sure. Yeah. Cause you picked them high. You play him a ton. He's at least out least survived even in his worst moments in the NHL, but they're, they are betting on him taking a pretty significant step in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Like I, from what we have anyways. Yeah. And maybe it's one of those things where if you look into all more micro data, like there's a reason he looks so good and in more granular data, he looks just like the stud that you would think he is by watching him. But, uh, that it's been three years and that hasn't really translated to macro level data. So there's a big risk there still. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And I think if it does backfire, it probably doesn't matter because the, the stars might not be a good team, even if he, if it does work out. So if it doesn't, they're definitely not going to be a good team for a large part of this contract, but um, yeah. I don't know. I, I hope it does. He seems like an easy guy to root for and, you know, like he is, a, he is really easy to watch. Like it's uh, the just the way he plays, you can see why people fall in love with it. Yeah. And he, he seems like the kind of guy who's in the Seth Jones trajectory where he's picked super high. He looks great until you know what to look for with Seth Jones. Then you can see the holes very easily, but Heiskanen looks very good. And the book isn't out on him the way it is with Jones and defending the zone. 
Um, he plays a ton of minutes. He gets points almost certainly because he plays on the power play, but he gets points on the left. So even if we're looking back five years from now and Miro Heiskanen over that period is like a 60th percentile defender based on every model in the world, he's going to have the cachet as like this true number one defenseman, I would bet, at which point he'll be movable the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, I mean, we like OEL is almost getting moved this summer and I don't even think he has the cachet of a number one defenseman anymore. Like, and no. Vancouver is still willingly sounding like they might take that contract on. Exactly. So. That's like approaching 30 OEL. Whereas this Heiskanen, if you want to bail on him in four years, you're bailing on him the way at the same age, like Seth Jones is now. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, um, yeah, so it, it'll be interesting. That's for sure. Uh, let's keep moving. We have so much stuff to talk about and uh, I'm just trying to keep an eye on the time because obviously you and I have a movie we are going to go see oh, with some friends tonight, which is exciting. Um, Fast Nine, if anyone is wondering, it is. I have zero expectations, but um, I'm so it's on, I know I, I'm just happy to go with, be able to do something normally again. And also, it's a bit of a meme at this point from in our friend group. You'll watch them. So uh, I'm trying to keep it moving here because we still have a bunch of stuff, including a massive trade. This might be one of the biggest ones I can remember in a while. Ryan Ellis gets moved. Not a name I was expecting, a name I said I would move if I was Nashville, but Ryan Ellis gets moved uh, to the Philadelphia Flyers. He also, it's a, it was a three-way deal, kind of. Um, not really, but kind of. So, uh, let me, hold on. Let me, let me pull the whole thing up so I don't get this wrong because I was trying to go through it yesterday. Okay, so... Uh, the Preds acquire Philip Myers and Nolan Patrick from the Flyers for Ryan Ellis, uh, straight up, and then the they flip Nolan Patrick to Cody or to the Golden Knights for Cody Glass, one for one as well. So it ended up basically being Philip Myers and Cody Glass for Ryan Ellis, and then Patrick also goes to the Golden Knights. Um, oh boy, there's a lot to to break down here. Um, let's start with Nashville, I guess, the kind of middle team here. Um, yeah. I, I like the move. I, I, I do. I, I think um, I was a little disappointed they couldn't get any picks, but I do think that teams probably realized how just like aggressively long that contract is. Um, and that probably drove the market down. So they got um, Philip Myers and uh, obviously Cody Glass. I, I like Cody Glass. I haven't seen what he looks like much at all recently. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think getting out from underneath the contract and getting some younger players is not a bad move. Yeah. It's not like worst case scenario, even if glass doesn't work out like four years from now, the Preds are probably going to suck and they're going to prefer to not have that Ellis contract on their book when he's a 34 year old to having it on their books. Exactly. And, and so that's why I think, you know, and there's clearly signals that they are kickstarting the rebuild. They want to start tearing it down and, you know, may, or maybe it's a retool they view it as, but um, yeah. So they get a 22 year old Cody glass, 24 year old Phil Myers. Myers isn't great. He's not bad though, either. Like he's just kind of fine. Right. So um, the kind of guy you probably don't mind having around in a retool when he's young, you could probably trade him for some positive asset at any time. And he's not actively horrible. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I really like it from, or I like it enough from their perspective. You know, I, obviously if it would have been possible, I think I would rather see them get a couple picks, but 
Um, if this is what the market was and they, I, I think that if this is what the market was, it was still a better choice for them to go with it. Even if it doesn't feel like full value, then, um, not going with it because they don't get the picks that they wanted. Like, I, I think get as you said, getting off the contract is just important no matter what. Yeah, exactly. This is the kind of move that happens in like child GM mode and never real life. Like just dumping a 30 year old with six years left just to get out from under it. Yeah, 100%. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here uh, and if there's more selling that actually happens as well. Yeah, it's... I'm impressed they were self-aware enough to make the move, I think is the mo- the best part of this trade. Yeah, it really, especially because like their GM is old as dirt. Like It's not like David Poyle is a young guy anymore. I think he is uh, he's 71 years old. So like you wouldn't really think he would want to stick through another rebuild, but maybe he decides he's got five, six, seven more years left in him and wants to see, or, or may- maybe they view it as where they're going to tear it down for a year or two and they feel like they have the the st- um, stability to be okay, or you know, not just not good for a year or two, and then kind of come back at it in two or three years. I don't know if that's possible, but you know, maybe they feel a little bit different and where their prospects are and stuff like that too. Yeah, that's very possible. And for what it's worth, from what I have heard about the next two draft classes coming up, you couldn't pick a better time to just turn on a dime and wave the white flag. Yeah. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here because they, they left Matt Duchesne exposed in the expansion draft. Um, and they, again, selling on Ellis clearly shows that they, they know they're going to take a step back. Obviously, Pekka Rennie retired. Um, did you see they, uh, apparently they protected five defensemen? Yeah, which is ridiculous. So they protected Philip Forsberg, Luke Coonan, Alexander Carrier, Tanner Gnut? Who the hell is that? I have no idea. I have no clue who that is. Now I can't even I can't even find him on their cap friendly page. I can't find him on their cap friendly page. He's in the he's a 24-year-old who's in the minors. Oh, there you go. He's played 15 NHL games. That's something you just gotta protect. Oh my god. Now, their forwards are all very, like, they don't have forwards worth protecting either. No, they really don't. Like, I, I don't blame them for leaving Johansson or Duchesne unprotected. Exactly. Like, you got to protect Forsberg. I don't think they needed to protect Yakov Trenin either, so there's another one. Forsberg's I, literally the only one that is important to protect. Yeah, and then, yeah, sure. And, like, Luke Koonin, sure, he's 23 years old. Because Tolvanen's exempt, right? Yep, Tolvanen's exempt. Trennan's exempt. Oh my god, I didn't even realize that's yeah, that's a pretty sad state. Yeah, I can't believe they protected that dude to fifteen. That's awesome, though. That's hilarious. That is hilarious, and not Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson, which was smart in the long run. It's just hilarious. Yeah. Um, wow, I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah, me too. What a strange situation. Imagine, because they went four and four last time, right? Yes. Imagine knowing that Subban will be gone and Ellis will be gone, and yet they're going to protect five defensemen <laughs> next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh my God, that's so funny. Although I'm guessing, I think Gnot or whatever the hell this guy's name is, 
is Carrier a forward or is he a defenseman? This Carrier. one is just the said he's a forward, right? Alexander Carrier, right-handed defenseman. Oh, okay. Well, that shows you just the exact the the, the fun state that this uh, this team is in. That I I barely know two of the players that uh, they protected. Or yeah. Because yes. the carrier is 24 games too. I, I'm not going to call this my fault. Anyways, let's look at it from the other sides as well. Um, we'll start with uh, uh, Philly because Vegas had another move that they made that I e- equally don't under- understand. For Philly, I they're going for it now. They've, they've, like, that's pretty clear that they feel that they have to go with, for it with Giroux and Vor- or, yeah, Vorchek getting older. And even Couturier is not young anymore. So they're not really stuck between a young and old core. They're stuck between a old-ish core and an old core. So uh, this is an all-in now move, which, like, I guess they were just, they're so far away from being a cup contender that I i don't know, man. Yes, it's kind of weird that a team went all-in and they missed the freaking playoffs last year. Yeah, and by a lot, too. Like, they were nowhere close. Yeah. Now, a fart realizes that he's an NHL goalie you could see things turning around rather quickly for them it's just hilarious optics wise yeah exactly so um it's but it's like I think they should be in the playoff race again next year like I I think the Metro each year is taking a step back Carolina should be on the top I think and then um you know one of these years you would think the bottom's going to fall out of Washington and Pittsburgh at some point but um, you know, you, until that happens, you kind of have to keep penciling them there. I think the Islanders have earned respect that they're going to be in the playoff hunt, at least, um, you know, making noise. Um, and then you have the Rangers, I guess, might take another step forward. But, you know, Philly, they, they, there's definitely an opportunity to be a top three team in that division. Yeah, it's very easy to see because the, the division division is just so aggressively mediocre. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I don't know. Like, I, I really like Ryan Ellis, but, you know, he's already started to take a step back. That being said, uh, you know, as much as I said, it would have been nice to get picks. It's I'm happy they didn't give him up. Like, it's not like they really gave up a haul to, to get him, you know, like Nolan Patrick just didn't work out, unfortunately, with injuries. Hopefully his career can rebound, but they gave up a high prospect who just never really did anything with Philly and a fine defenseman who, didn't move the needle for them anyways, where at least like Ryan Ellis, if Ryan Ellis bounces back to what he was even two years or a year ago, that does move the needle for your team. Right. So. Yeah. Like Ryan Ellis's floor is hilariously higher than the median outcome of every other player in this trade. Yeah. Like it's way, way higher. Like it's not even close. Yeah. Like the, Outcome where Ryan Ellis gets even worse next year to the same degree that he dropped off from 2020 to 2021. And he's like a one win player then. And he's like a number three or a number four defenseman at best is still like at least double the expected output of anyone else in this trade. Yeah. 100%. So um, like maybe Nolan Patrick bounces back, but just like, that's a real if, right? A, a big maybe. So uh, yeah, I think it was it was a weird one. It was a huge one, and like the contract is so long that it's gonna bite later. But I don't like this team is just they kind of have to be going for it. you know. Kevin Hayes is twenty nine, Vorchek's thirty one, Jeru's thirty three, JVR's thirty two. 
Um, you know, Konechny's 24, Couturier's 28. Um, it's not like they are a super young team outside of really Carter Hart. And I guess you can say Travis Konechny, but it's not like Konechny's 21 or anything like that either. Yeah, exactly. And like, there's going to be the reckoning. They're going to be bad anyways, at which point it won't matter that they do or do not have Ellis on their books. So I kind of like the mentality of just try to get whatever's left out of this roster. Yeah, I don't hate it either. So um, yeah, interesting. And then the one team I really did not understand um, what they were doing yesterday was the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, this one, I'll give them like Cody Glass really hasn't worked out. Neither is Nolan Patrick. I would take a bet on Cody Glass more than Patrick, but um, like, it's not like either of the, like I, with, you know, it's so hard to remove draft position with the prospect uh, as they get older and older and he's 22. So I think we can at least somewhat let go the he was a sixth overall pick because um, if he was anywhere close as what we thought he would be, he wouldn't be a fringe NHL right now. Yeah. Like that, the ship has almost certainly sailed on that. Yes. But so for what it's worth then oddly enough, Patrick was drafted second overall, but going into the draft, people talk about glass as a guy with way more upside than Nolan Patrick. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not wrong. And like, I don't, it just kind of feels like one of the things where both teams realized, or sorry, I think that Vegas wanted to kind of flip, uh, you know, glass and try and find, and the only thing out there was probably just a player like glass where, you know, you needed to, uh, he was struggling. So you, you basically need to flip and see if he got worked a new spot. And I think from Nashville's point of view, they probably view Cody glass as a better player than Nolan Patrick. And that's why they did it. Right. So. Yeah. Or at least more upside. But to me, this move is more defendable than the other move they made, which was giving up a legitimate pick for Brett Howden. <laughs> yeah. That was hilarious. Howden's been horrible. So bad. He's been like one of the worst active skaters, I believe. Yeah, like this was a that was an awesome deal for New York. Yeah, that like was, he gets a four a fourth round pick, right? Like, yeah, like that's one of the worst, pe- probably the worst spot on New York's entire roster, and they got a pick back for for getting rid of it. Yeah, and like, I I just couldn't believe it. like that is like uh, at the end of the day, it's not going to matter much because he'll play fourth line on Vegas probably, and you know it's a fourth round pick. It's hard to be like super super upset, but just like you could have plucked an AHL forward out and there's a good chance they would have been just as fine as uh, what Howden provides. Oh, a hundred percent. You could find better than Howden for league men on like day 16 of free agency every year. Yeah. So uh, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, uh, don't get it at all, but um, let's move on. There's a couple other ones. Um, let's go with uh good row extent uh, trade real quick. So the Rangers, traded seventh round pick. I want to say for the rights to Barclay Goudreau from the Tampa Bay lightning. So they can negotiate with them now over the next week or two before free agency opens up. Uh, I think it was Chris Johnson reported. If he would, if Goudreau hits the open market, teams will be willing to give him up to six years, which I'm sorry, that is, that is crazy. And this is the potential to turn ugly quick in terms of a contract. I think for New York, they got to be careful here. Yeah. The worst part with Goudreau is I've all those reports are like, he's going to get a ridiculous amount of money. Like in a vacuum if Barclay Goodrow signs for three by three, that's still a horrible contract, but it's going to be touted as a win because it's so much better than how horrible we expect this to go. Yeah. Like, 
I wouldn't mind. I would take Barkley Goudreau as three by three. That's fine. I don't think he's that bad. Like he's a, I don't know, third line player probably. I think I guess, but I don't like, know. Maybe, I mean, maybe his numbers got a little bumped in the Tampa, but like his RAPM has been really strong over the past couple seasons. Yeah, like it was really good last year, and then in Tampa he has good defense, or in San Jose he has good defensive results too. But I yeah, like, I, I don't know. I would take three by three, but like anything more than that, I think you're really starting to push. Like even a four by four, a five by five, that would be a mess. And I think at that point, that would be less than what I'm expecting, to be honest. Yeah, like if he gets six years and like four and a half million or something, I wouldn't be shocked. No, me either. And that just feels like it would be regrettable very quick. It'll be disastrous. So we will have to see where that goes. But um, yeah, interesting. I, I never know how to feel. I like, Of course, Tampa gets a freaking pick just for the negotiating rights for a player. They were 1,000% letting walk anyways. Yeah, of course. But... Um, why not help out the Tampa Bay Lightning? They've been so hard done by these people. If there's one team that needs some help in this league, it is the Tampa Bay Lightning. I've often said that. Yeah, more and more people are saying this. Yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, let's get to another smaller trade as well. Uh, the uh, Vancouver Canucks picked up uh, Jason Dickinson uh, for a third-round pick uh, from the Dallas Stars. Uh, this was I was surprised from the Dallas one because, you know, like I just don't know what – Dallas is and you know maybe they just didn't really see him as a long-term plan um, Dickinson is a good defensive forward who doesn't bring a ton of offense but is very strong defensively I don't hate it from the Vancouver perspective I was just kind of more surprised by the, uh, the Dallas side of things yeah this was a really unexpected trade that I think like it makes a lot of sense for Dallas I guess if they don't have faith in him long term or they thought they were going to lose him for nothing, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So you get something back. For Vancouver, it's a little strange because I think the Canucks are bad, but also Dickinson is a useful NHL player and a third-round pick isn't that important. So maybe it's a good deal for them, too. Yeah, I also see a scenario where Vancouver's not quite as bad as they were last year, where, like, you just get some injury. Like, if Patterson's healthy all year, that's at least a huge step forward for them, right? But I think... Yeah. Like, so, you know, and they're in a really, really, really crappy division is the yeah, other thing. They could come like 10th in the West pretty easily and in a horrible division. Yeah. Like, so, and like, yeah, 10th in the West and still somehow like third in that division. Like, <laughs> but Did you see, uh, um, based on the exposed lists and then in part because of how horrible the division is, Dom optimized the Kraken and he would have them projected for 105 points. Really? Yeah. For him, that would be second in the division for the Seattle Kraken if they optimize their roster based on the list right now. Yeah. Like there's a non zero chance that even if they don't have that great of a roster, that the division is so bad, they'd like make more noise than you would ever expect. Oh, yeah. They could come fourth in this division and still miss out on like six of the good players available right now because of side deals. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is Dallas has like no cap space. So this probably affected things too. Dallas has $5 million in, or 5.8 in current cap space, and they only have 11 forward signed and five defensemen right now. So um, they really need to get some, add some depth to this team as well. Um, and, so maybe they just – they may not have thought they could afford Jason Dickinson. 
in terms of afford him plus also fill out the rest of the roster with appropriate depth, you know? Yeah, and that's more than fair. Get a pick back for a player that's useful, but just not going to do be there with you. Yep. Um, kind of same thing. Aiden Hill goes to the San Jose Sharks with a seventh-round pick for a second-round pick back to Arizona Coyotes. So Arizona clearly on the rebuild. Um, you know, they have a bunch of goalies. Didn't really see Aiden Hill, I guess, in the future. Or the, another guy that they very easily could have lost, uh, I think, to Seattle. He's 25 years old, has had small sample size, but has looked pretty good at times when he has played, um, especially over the past two years, playing in 13 games and 19 games have been a 918 and a 913 save percentage, respectively. So um, I do. I, I like this move from San Jose in terms of like getting good players is always a good thing, but I just, I don't really know where San Jose goes from here. Like, I think San Jose should be trying to rebuild at this point. Like just accept that your core was old and stinks and just lose as many games as you can. Yeah, I didn't like it from San Jose, even if like the expected war of Aiden Hill is higher than that of a second round pick, just because like, what the hell does that do for you? Yeah, like unless they're saying they're thinking that, you know, if they're out of a rebuild in three or four years and Aiden Hill's 29 and that's still good enough, I guess, for them, like because we we do see goalies go deeper into their 30s than maybe players do, but. But I, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think there's Aiden Hill is feels like he's around every year. Yeah, exactly. And he's played like 50 games. And it's not even like, like when they got Martin Jones, he probably only had like 50 or 100 starts, but he had absolutely crushed it at times in LA. Like, he had shown a flash of just like extremely great results. We haven't even seen that out of Aiden Hill. No. So um, I, I don't know. It's, Interesting. Uh, good for Arizona to get a pick back, though, um, for yeah, a guy that they could have lost. Yeah, they need all the picks they can get. That probably is the guy they would have lost to. I think so, right? Like, there's just no roster player that's very good on that team that they're not protecting. Yeah, you're not excited about any of the other Arizona things. So, especially if there's an NHL GM out there that values Aiden Hill at a second round pick, basically, like that's the kind of guy be perfect to pick up from Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, good good piece of work there. Like, I, I'm really liking what Arizona's done this week for themselves. Uh, again, boosting their pick value a lot. Um, last thing we have to talk about, and this will be – I, I kind of think, you know, maybe we should almost talk about this more after the draft because I want to see what happens, but it's the Jared McCann trade. Um, so the Leafs pick up Jared McCann for uh, Hollander, who they got in the Kapanen deal, and it was a seventh-round pick, I believe like just peanuts for a guy who led the entire league in goals above replacement per 60 last year. All his underlying metrics are unreal. Obviously I don't think he's quite that good, but he's a very, very strong player. And then they turn around and leave him exposed in the expansion draft and protect four defensemen instead. Yeah. This is a roller coaster of emotions. Everybody's pumped when they get McCann because they made an objectively amazing trade like that McCann trade is the kind of trade that it's great when your team makes it, but you can never propose a deal like that going into the off season because just saying, hi, my team takes your good player for less than the good player is worth. just isn't really a strategy, even though it happens all the time. So it was awesome. Yeah. And then like the more I think about it, the more indefensible, I think leaving him exposed like that is. Yeah. Well, so if, I think it's ridiculous that they didn't just go 7-3-1 once they got McCann. But, like, if they do turn around 
and lose McCann in the expansion draft, it's tough to like fully freak out because McCann is like a second liner true talent, but also that would be hilariously idiotic by Kyle Dubas to turn around and lose McCann like this. Yeah. And I've already seen like, it's been uh, put online quite a bit of like, uh, um, Oh, well you can look at it as they actually only lost a seventh and a prospect in the expansion draft. It's like, well, no, not really. Like, cause the opportunity cost was Jared McCann. Exactly. Cause like, Going into this week, if you said the Leafs lose Philip Helene during a seven to Seattle, you'd be fine with that. But they have Jared McCann on the roster. There was no, there's no need to expose him. Yeah, especially just like, and like we talked about Justin Hall. Like I think Leaf fans are a little harsh on Justin Hall, but like, like why are you exposing an actual like second line player for a fourth defenseman? Yeah, I don't know. And like, for what it's worth, I'm assuming you're, you would agree with this. I'm pretty certain there's a protection trade in place. Yeah. And so, Kirk like, is going to. Yeah. And like, the rumor was that they really like Seattle likes Kerfoot a lot too. So it wouldn't shock me, but it just, I, it seems very, very strange. Mm-hmm. Especially because they're doing all this to protect Justin Cole. But if you went 7 3 1, I still bet you there's like a 50-50 chance they take Travis Dermott. Yeah, which probably. You, which should tell you everything you need to know about give, working yourself into knots to go protect Justin Hall. Yeah, like, uh, I, I definitely agree. Like, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I At first, I kind of thought it was like, oh, yeah, like I even said, it's just like, yeah, like I get it that they technically would only lose the seven. But like, the more I think about it, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, actually, this would be hilarious to me but really stupid on the part of Kyle Dubas yeah and I'm worried because like we talked about Justin Hole we're a little higher on him than Leafs fans as a whole I think he's perfectly mediocre and I don't actually mean that as a bad thing but if they're giving up even just like a second round pick which given how the Vegas expansion draft went would probably be cheap for their protection like that's not a good thing to project just protect Justin Hall. No, like I, yeah, like I, no, I, I don't think so. Especially because they don't have picks to begin with. Yeah, or or it's a prospect. Like, are you giving up Broden Amirov or something to protect? Like, or like Timothy Liljegren? Maybe. Maybe, but like, yeah, it just I don't know. Or Philip Crawl. There, even more. Maybe, but like I wouldn't want to give up Lily Grin to protect Hall. Yeah, when like you I, I just went seven three one. Yeah, exactly. Like um, every team's losing a player. Yeah, it sucks, but you're not alone in that. Twenty nine other teams are losing a player, so like I don't think you have to make it. Like you, you don't don't make the damage worse than it needs to be. I, I guess, and I, it just feels like they're putting themselves in a spot where it might be. Exactly, especially because you're a team whose whole shtick is we have four really good forwards and three really good defensemen. Yeah. Like, you should be willing to rotate all the pieces around your core because they have an objectively great core at playing hockey. Yeah, absolutely. And so we'll wait till the Seattle draft to see what happens. But, you know, if McCann does make it through and they keep him, that is an awesome pickup for uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, exactly. This, if all ends as I think it does 
the Leafs are down a second round pick and Kerfoot after this. It would be a little annoying that that's how it went down. But like the Jared McCann trade in and of itself is the exact kind of trade us Leafs fans were expecting Kyle Dubas to make when they signed the glasses wearing nerd who talks about Corsi at Hockey Analytics Conference to be their GM a couple of years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's probably about it. The one other thing that coming out right now is that, uh, so Carey Price got left exposed and it sounds like he's going to miss significant time with a hip injury next season. So Seattle might not be taking him just because of that. I wouldn't take him anyways if I was Seattle, but um, yeah, that, that's about all I think for this week. So thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we will be back uh, the probably Thursday, I would assume with the expansion draft results, we'll talk about them and everything. Um, but yes, thank you everyone for listening so much. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CM hockey 66. Uh, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts and we will see you all later this week. 